Three mates, three headlines, what's next? Gentlemen, God knows how many weeks in we are now to this lockdown 3.0, but it's started snowing in the south, so my mornings are building snowmen and my afternoons are knocking them down again. How are you both? What is news? No news. Happy that you've got the snow and I don't have to ice skate my way out of my estate. What about you, Jim? Yeah, uh, very similar. Nothing, no snow up here, nice and clear um, in the northeast. Just briefly coming back onto sports. Uh, good to see that my discussion last week about uh, Karen Kearney's article about Frank Lampard not getting the sacks come true. That's a pleasure to see. Yeah, well, that was slightly more successful than our other predictions last week that we'll get on to. So we will start with our headlines from the week and our weekly roundup. Uh, last week's headline act, George Fisher and her England Roses teammates secured a clean sweep over the All-Stars with a 3-0 series win to whet the appetite for the return of the Vitality Super League and Georgia's trip over to New Zealand to compete in the ANZ Premiership. With the Six Nations around the corner, many of the nations have announced their squads. Cam Redpath appeared in Scotland's squad to follow in his father's footsteps, despite being in England's training squad not too long ago. Tyrrell Hatton won in Abu Dhabi to secure another Rolex Series title, as Tony Finau made it 35 top 10s without a win in America since the start of the 2016-17 season. Tom Brady has made it to another Super Bowl finale where he will take on young goat Mahomes. And in Australia, Liam Livingston got hit in the box once again, a painful habit. And Alex Hales is not bored of tons yet as he struck another T20 Big Bash 100 to take over at the top of the Golden Cap leaderboard. England made it two out of two in Sri Lanka inside four days after another Joe Root 100 and the Seamers and Spinners seemingly taking it in turns to contribute their wickets. Chelsea sacked Lampard after 18 months that has seen him finish fourth with a load of kids and a transfer ban, reach an FA Cup final and attract some of the most sought-after talent in Europe. Yet Steve Bruce still has a job despite, well, not doing much more than barely breathing. But we'll come on to that at some point. At least everyone says he's a nice lad. Lastly, Dustin Poirier stunned the world with his second round KO of Conor McGregor thanks to a barrage of leg kicks and fast hands, which unsurprisingly means that none of us were correct with our predictions in last week's episode. Any of those to touch on quickly, gentlemen? Don't think we can go much further than close friend now, George Fisher and the Netball Girls. Um, it was obviously good for them to get some netball after, after what was cancelled for them, so can't go much further than that one, I don't think. Tyrrell Tyrrell Hatton picked up half a million pound and it's not even February. Now, if that was me, I'd I'd be going home and just saying, yeah, done. Mortgage (laughs) paid off. Mrs. Happy. Everyone's a winner. Successful, lad. Successful four rounds of golf. Successful four days for him, I think. So, uh, yeah. You've had a nice little holiday to Dubai. You've picked up half a million pound, another trophy in the cabinet. I'm sure if you ask Tony Fina how he's feeling about not getting a win, He's probably not asked as well. He's picked up probably a handy check and he's shooting off to another sunny destination to go and collect another after another four days of golf. It's not the worst life. Yeah, I think if I could be one thing other than a uh, podcast host with you two, it would be a professional golfer. I'd drop the podcast in a heartbeat to be a golfer. (laughs) Sorry, lads. I'll I'll do an interview with you, though, if that's how you're feeling. Anyway, Andy, good headlines. What is next? 
Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. This week's first headline act is a special one and a massive thanks to Team Unicorn player liaison manager Matt Rankin of Unicorn Darts for joining us and providing an awesome insight into the business of darts, player recruitment and life on tour. Not only that, but Matt and Unicorn Darts were incredibly generous to gift us some items to give away on our Instagram page. Follow both ourselves and Unicorn Darts on Instagram at whatnext.pod and at official Unicorn Darts. Matt Rankin, player liaison manager from Unicorn Darts. Really pleased to be joined by our headline act for this week, and he comes from the world of darts. Matt Rankin, Team Unicorn player liaison manager. Thank you so much for your time. How are you doing? How are you in lockdown? Are you okay? Getting there, Andrew. It's, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, second, third time we've done this, and, uh, and the weather outside isn't helping us either. So we've all just got to hunker down and. Uh, crack on and uh, we'll come out the other side and hopefully we'll be in a better place come uh, the spring. It does seem to be much harder this time around, as you say, with the weather. It's not quite the 30 degrees it was earlier in the year or last year and it's snow outside or bleak rain. So it's a little bit more difficult, but we will get by. And as you say, it is for the greater good, hopefully. But Matt, please tell us what your your role involves at Unicorn, team Unicorn player liaison manager. What does that include? Yeah, so first and foremost, for all the players that we um, sponsor and contracted to uh, Unicorn, Unicorn Darts, um, I'm their main contact for any equipment requirements. So um, when they're on um, the verge of a big event, they may need extra stems, flights, points, darts, you name it. So I'm their main contact for that. Um, and also, I'm responsible for player recruitment, um, you know, throughout the age groups up to world champion. Um, so heavily involved in sort of contract negotiations from start to finish, contract renewals as well. Um, so it's quite full on and, uh, and interesting as well, because obviously I'm a very uh, keen darts aficionado myself as well. So um, it's really interesting for me to be involved on both sides and of course watching the players in action as well it, it just all just goes hand in hand it's 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 a great role I was going to ask you it, it sounds an incredibly exciting role but what is your your sort of background into darts yourself you mentioned you play a little bit there is it from a playing background that you fell into the role or was it very well I I first really um got uh, struck by darts was the Kevin Painter Phil Taylor final now I can't actually remember the year of this and Kevin, I know Kevin very well. He'll give me a kick for it. But um, that was the final that really got me into darts. Um, I can remember watching it from start to finish um, and just thinking Kevin was was going to upset the odds and beat Phil in the final. But unfortunately for him, he, as he quite rightly says, he never got a dart to the double to win that final. But really looking back, um, that was the, the moment that, that got me hooked on darts. And ever since then, moving into working for Unicorn as well, it, I was just very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, really. Great. Well, almost starting at the most recent almost and talk about another final, um, Gary Anderson, star of Team Unicorn, was in that world final just a couple of weeks ago. How exciting was that for the company? How brilliant is it to see him in another world final, his fifth, I believe, uh, and he's obviously got those two world titles behind him, along with a whole host of other majors. How good was that for for Unicorn to see? It was fantastic. I mean, fantastic to see any of our players reach major finals. That's that's what we're in it for. That's what we we that's what we're here for. For the players, we want to see them successful. Obviously, really, you know, gutted for Gary, he didn't get his third world title. Um, but it was great to see him 
back to somewhere near his best. Um, I, you know, I had a uh, quite a long chat with him last week. And he, you know, by his own admission, I think he, he sort of ran out of um, steam when it got towards the final. Um, he'd worked so hard to to get there. You know, beating Chizzy, um, you know, convincingly um, to get to the final, and uh, you know, just when he got there. Missed a few doubles that first set as well. It was two nil up. Missed missed darts to win that set. Let Gerwin in early. That may have been a turning point so early in the final. But yeah, for us as a brand to to see Gary, you know, we were a little bit concerned with his going into the the World Championship with his knee injury. Um, but obviously, from a product and sales perspective, it, you know, it all helps us on that side of things because whenever. Gary or any of our players, Dimitri, for example, in the world match play this year as well. Um, you know, product sales, you know, increase at that point as well. So it's all good for us as a brand when the players are, are successful. And it's brilliant to hear Gary talking throughout the World Championship and then at the end of the World Championship saying that his commitment, his enthusiasm, his, his heart to be involved in the tour a little bit more again this year is back and he wants to show that he is one of the best, if not the best, on his day in the world. So that's really exciting to be able to follow that into 2021 uh, and obviously be part of that Premier League once that comes back. Um, he is an integral part of Team Unicorn, as you've mentioned already, a couple of other names. There are a number of players on Unicorn's books categorised by what seems to an outsider or to a fan as myself, uh, what stage of their career they're at. Can you tell us a little bit about the structure of Team Unicorn and what goes into signing, deciding a player? Obviously, it's self-explanatory when they become a world champion, but what makes them a premier, maestro, contender, global or generation 180 category athlete? And please forgive me if I've missed any of them there. No, no, you're not far, you're not far off. Um, yeah, it starts in the pyramid of players. We, we start with Generation 180, which is mainly academy-based players and junior players that are really getting into darts at a young age. There's a lot of darts academies around the UK now where a lot of people put a tremendous amount of hard work in um, to capture the um, young players that are coming through. Um, and then we've got Global which is our support to players around the globe, really. Players that are playing on different tours around the world, whether it be in Europe or Asia. We've got a couple of players in there that do play full-time on the PDC tour, like Madars, Rasma, Adam Hunt. Um, we're going to be looking to promote them into the next category, which I'm going to talk about, which is contender. Um, that's mainly made up of players that are in the top 64 on the PDC order of merit. And those players are looking to be pushing into the top 32 themselves. Um, so players like Ted Evitz as well, a lot of young players um, that are coming through. Um, Maestro is plays really in the top 20 of the PDC order of merit. So um, Ian White, for example, um, and we've got Dimitri in there, Jeffrey Deswan, Chris Doby. So a lot of exciting talent that is in that group of players. Premier, um, so you've got Michael Smith and James Wade, players that have, have played consistently in the Premier League, won it like James as well, um, that are looking to, you know, go to our top level, which is world champion, um, which I'm sure both of those players that I've mentioned have got um, huge aspirations of getting there. Um, and then in the world championship, um, uh, world champion uh, category that I mentioned, you've got Gary Anderson, um, Yella Klassen that are both playing on tour. Then we've got ambassadors as well, um, which do 
excellent work for the brand like John Lowe, um, Bob Anderson, former world champions, and John Part as well. So we've got a really nice mix of players from experience down to players that are um, looking to strive to um, push their way through the unicorn pyramid um, and hierarchy of players. So, yes, we're, we're very happy with our group at the moment. It's a great stable. And some of the names you mentioned there that you obviously personally work very close with, you mentioned uh, Dancing Dimitri with his success uh, earlier in the year. Is that something almost as a brand? I know he's in a, he is in a boost or has been for part of the year, which probably limits how much he can dance once he's up on stage. But is that part of his brand almost to make him appeal? Is that something that was decided to introduce to his walk on? Or is it something that actually that just is his character? It's his nature. That's his character. That's all down to Dimitri. Um, you know, you touch on, on this question with Dimitri. Dimitri joined us in 2014, signed for Unicorn. Uh, it's probably one of my proudest signings, to be fair, because when we signed Dimitri, I, I would hazard a guess, probably 90, 95% of people hadn't really heard of Dimitri van der Berg at that stage. But now as we approach, um, you know, going into 2021, he's the current world match play champion, and I think he's world number nine now. For that to happen from Dimitri to work his way through the PDC Tour Development Tour, get on that main tour, win a major title and now be in the Premier League. You know, as much as it pleases us for the, you know, for Gary to win world titles, that is also as well incredibly important for us to see the player development throughout the years. And for, you know, like I say, for Dimitri to win a major title now as well, it, it was fantastic for Unicorn. We're incredibly proud of him and, uh, you know, we see him being an integral part of the brand for many years to come. I've no doubt. And you touch on it there um, in terms of the pathways and the tiers that support players in reaching that top level. And again, Unicorn as a company, as a brand, are heavily involved with the Challenge Tour, the Development Tour, the World Youth Championships. How enjoyable is that part? And you've maybe answered that in terms of seeing Dimitri's success rising through there. But how important is that for the game of darts, for those players, for their own development, etc.? It's, it's very important for all the players. I mean, the PDC do a fantastic job with the youth and development tours. Obviously, we've been hampered like everybody else in the sporting world with what's going on around us with COVID at the moment. Um, but the, the, the tours are a fantastic structure for players of I think it's about 16 to up to 24 to play on the development tour and to be playing um, consistently weekends um, throughout the year to be able to play against players of their level. And really the prizes at stake, you know, to finish top of the order of merit table after um, a year or um, and then get a two-year tour card for winning that. The, the structure is fantastic for play, all players that are coming through now. And for us to be involved with the sponsorship that, um, in that as well, um, you know, we're very proud to see all players come through um, those routes to play on the main tour. One of the great partnerships that Unicorn have is with the PDC, as you say, and that's being seen as the official board supplier all over Sky Sports at each of the televised majors um, throughout the year. How much of a privilege is that for the company to be partnered with the elite end of the sport? Because the PDC very much is the public eye, the pinnacle of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been um, the official board um, partner for the PDC since 1997. So that's what's that, 23, 24 years. It's a long time. Um, and to be involved um, with the PDC is fantastic for us. The exposure we get um, with the board on TV um, is two, three, four thousand hours per year. It's, it's, um, it's an incredible amount of exposure that we get with the dartboard and, and with the players on top of that. So it really um, goes hand in hand um, having the players and the board um, with the PDC. Um, and as you know, we are um, renowned as the um, you know main part, partner with the PDC and we, we're very proud and um, um, that that is, has been in place for so long and it's a fantastic relationship we've got with everybody with the PDC. What goes into that process of developing the dartboard and not just sitting and resting on your laurels almost, but and similarly, I guess, with the players and the design of their barrels and their setup with their stems and their flights or their points, whatever it may well be. How frustrating possibly at times is that process where things are being changed so minutely, but potentially so rewarding in the grand scheme of things when people reach world finals, they win world titles, they win world match plays, etc. What's that process like from your point of view, working as the player liaison manager for Team Unicorn with a player when they're ringing up saying, I want a slightly smaller stem, I want a, a slightly different grooved grip here? It's, uh, it's certainly not frustrating because that's what we're here for. I mean, a lot really with Dawes players is it's in their head. If they are 100% happy with their equipment um, before they play, they are they are mentally right to play darts. If they're uncertain about their equipment, that's where things can can potentially start to go wrong. You know, we can do as much as we can for the players until they get up on the hockey to play darts. We can be there supporting them. We can do as much for them as possible in the background with equipment. But obviously, it's over to them as soon as the re uh, the referee um, shouts game on. But. Um, Players, um, you know, I don't think I've ever met a, met a player that hasn't got a clue what they want to do with their darts, for example. Um, you know, especially when we sign a player, you know, nine times out of ten, a player will know whether they want a straight barrel, a groove grip barrel, what weight of dart they want. And for, for example, when we signed Ian White, um, Ian was very sort of um, nervous about changing his barrel. But we came up with a prototype with him. He loved it and hasn't changed since. And Ian's been with us for, I don't know, I think maybe six years, six or so years now. So sometimes players change equipment more than others. Uh, Michael Smith never changes his darts. Gary Anderson likes to have about four changes a year. It, it all depends with each player. Um, Dimitri is very specific about his points. Even a little millimetre here or a millimetre there, it makes a huge difference for them. And like I said before, if they're absolutely settled in their mind that they've got what they need before they play, that's, that is my main priority. And that is ours as a brand to ensure that we do as much as we can behind the scenes to help them win trophies. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned many of the names that are involved in those different tier of Team Unicorn before. Uh, many of them already have experienced a great level of success be that reaching finals such as Michael Smith be that winning titles in terms of James Wade, Dimitri, Gary across various respective majors. Who should we be looking out for as we move into 2021 not necessarily to win something as a major but just to really announce themselves onto the tour even or possibly win if they reach that level? Yeah I'm going to go a little bit left field here. I, I'm going to go for Adam Hunt because I think Adam has 
impressed me hugely um, over the past two or three months with his performances. You got to the last 32 of the World Championships, last 16, I think it was, at the Grand Slam. And I just think something's clicked with him. It's, it's all about confidence with players as well. He's now into the top 64. I think he's about 27 now. He's at that age where I think he can go to the next level. So exciting times um, for Adam. And I think that he's certainly one to watch out for this year. We'll follow that uh, progress, that story of Adam with uh, with eager eyes, as well as seeing how everyone else performs. And hopefully we are able to get back into the arenas at the majors to watch and support the players soon. Uh, almost from a working point of view, what has the recent COVID pandemic been like to work through within darts? Um, as a fan, I very much miss going to the Ali Pali, for example, or the Premier League events and I'm there for very different reasons to you, uh, but I certainly miss it probably just as much as you You do. Do players prefer the crowd? Are they quite happy being up there on stage, just them, their darts and their opponents at times? Or Yeah, the players... Is there a, is there a plea to get them back? Yeah, the players are missing the crowds hugely. It's, it's, it's all about the adrenaline when they, get, when they get up there. I mean, Premier Leagues especially, you know, playing in front of 10,000 people, um, you know, it, it's it's what they want to do. It's why they practice. It's why they win titles. It's why they want to get in the Premier League. Um, we are where we are with the crowds at the moment. Um, they, they we're in Ali Pali only for a day. Um, the PDC are working so hard to make it happen, but obviously they're waiting for the government to um, give the green light on that. I think it's going to be a little bit of time yet. But, um, you know, we normally like to see the players ourselves as much as we can throughout the year. Um, we normally have a product launch where we get all of our all of our players together under one roof, um, you know, and entertain our, our customers as well. And that's that's not been able to happen last year. So we're all just keeping our fingers crossed that we can get back to doing things, um, you know, back to where we were before, um, you know, a year or so ago. So it's been difficult for us um, as the sponsors as well, but. The players are doing is a fantastic job entertaining entertaining everybody on TV. So uh, long may that continue until we can get the crowds back. No, it's still just as good to watch. And uh, my mum will always say that she knows it's Christmas time when the darts comes on because that's all that seems to be on the TV. Uh, lastly, you mentioned their product launches and bits and pieces that have been missed out on from a commercial point of view. What is in the pipeline product-wise potentially for Unicorn that we should be keeping our eye out for? Yeah, Dimitri Vandenberg, I think I mentioned earlier on, he's going to be promoted up to our Premier range. So there's going to be an, a, a big expansion of his product. He's a very popular player, um, not only in the UK, but in Europe as well. So that's one to keep an eye on. And also the darts Gary Anderson was using at the World Championship, um, different code version. We're going to be releasing those as part of our 2022 range. So regarding players, there's a couple of things to keep an eye on that will be coming out um, towards uh, the middle of the year. Exciting. Well, I'll certainly be trying to make sure I get my, my hands on them. They might improve my game a little bit somewhat. Um, very recreational is how I would describe it, but enthusiastic all the same. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I don't want to take up any more of your morning, but I really appreciate you talking to us, the insights into Team Unicorn, what goes on, what the players experience and what we can expect in the future. It's been a great insight. So thank you so much. And we look forward to catching up with you soon at some point, hopefully. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. All the best. Not a problem. Cheers. Cheers. A great conversation with Matt, a really wonderful insight. And once again, a huge thanks to Matt and Unicorn Darts for their generosity in supporting our Instagram giveaway. 
and someone we very much look forward to catching up with soon, as well as following the Team Unicorn players' progress throughout the year, starting this weekend in Milton Keynes with the Ladbrokes Masters, live on ITV. But firstly, Tinners, what's next? We've got another headline act. Um, so we've also got Leicestershire cricketer and Scotland prospect Scott Steele. Yeah, we're really pleased that all of our cricket-related content on the podcast moving forwards is going to be brought to you by Moonrise Sports. As a company, Moonrise are committed to getting fans closer than ever before to the best sports professionals in the world, giving everyone the opportunity in life to learn, engage and be inspired by sport. Moonrise Cricket are currently running a competition on their Instagram page where you can win a one-to-one with New Zealand international Jimmy Nisham, as well as £700 worth of cricket goodies from Painter, Power Gun and Blacksby Clothing. We're joined by a young English talent with a penchant for white ball cricket as a destructive top-order batter and controlling off-spinner, a product of the infamous Durham Cricket Academy, working his way through the ranks to play both red and white ball cricket for the county. This week's headline act has recently signed a three-year deal at Leicestershire. Scott Steele, welcome. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? No worries. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, all right. Just back in training this week after Christmas break. Um, and then apart from that, not much really going on. Can't really do anything, can you? What does their uh, training look like in the middle of a, a lockdown? For everyone else, they're probably quite jealous that you can at least go out and hit some balls. Um, quite weird, actually, because we're only in two days a week. Um, and you're split in different groups, so there's only about four, I think, of you at a time in your in your group. Um, so you don't really see all the lads; you only see a handful, and you're only in two days a week. So, is there any indication when you'll be able to come back as a fuller squad just yet? Uh, I don't think they really know. To be honest, I think it's constantly changing. Um, so I think just whenever you can mix in bigger groups, that's when I think we'll change to bigger groups. But I haven't heard anything just yet. Something to look forward to, at least. If we can, let's go back to the very beginning of your career and we'll work our way through. How did you first get into cricket? When did you realise that you had a little bit of talent in the game? Um, I think I have an older brother who's two years older and my dad played at just local club near ours. And I think ever since we were born, really, mum would go down and watch dad and me and Callum would have to just go down with her. So we're always in and around cricket. And then when I was about six, six and a half, um, we went down to Durham City, which was my club at the time, and just went for a taster session, like on a Sunday morning, um, and then just played through the age groups there. And then I think when you were younger, I think your coach nominated so many people to go to like county trials. Um, and then I just kept going to county trials and then I got in the first year and then you'd get in the, you'd get the trials for the second year and then I just progress through there really there's a lot of people at Durham City I know there's one or two uh, individuals that would have guided you throughout your development into that senior cricket exposure but how important were certain individuals to the cricketer that ultimately you've become now recognised for being yeah I think there's a lot especially with I think I was quite fortunate because with having an older brother he's obviously older and bigger when you're younger and I always wanted to try to be better than him. Like, he was always better than me at every sport. And I never used to want him to get me out, or I used to always want to try to get him out. So I think just a constant competition, whether it was in the garden or, like, on the side of the pitch watching Dad or at Durham City Nets, it was just a constant battle between me and him. And I think that progressed me to probably 
a better cricketer just from playing against him. I always, um, I was going to say, Doug, I, I always remember playing against Durham City because they were in our my junior kind of league at that time, and they were always one of the better one of the better teams if it was in the cup competitions or whatever it was. I always remember, I always remember a cup final I played there once. It probably would have been must have been under under thirteen or something. But it was always you always knew when you were young which ones were the better teams to to come up and play against. I, I, remember, I definitely remember playing against your brother. Um, I can't remember exactly playing against yourself. I'm sure I did. Um, I do always remember Durham City having to having to bat against the sun <laughs> over the top of the side screen, which was always an absolute nightmare. Um, and going and watching my dad playing the ball, basically just twisting that the sun would be literally the hardest thing to face in the world. Yeah, no, you just win the toss and bat first, and then you could just lob it up into the sun second half. How important was that environment and being exposed to senior cricket, and as you say, playing alongside an older brother all the time was obviously important. That age gap and that testing yourself physically. I suppose, in terms of power that he would possess a little bit more than you at certain ages. But then when you finally break into those senior sides, I don't know how much you'd have hung around in third and second team uh, and then eventually playing first team and obviously moving beyond that. But how important is the ground hopping? How much do you learn about your game straight away almost? Yeah, I think it was because especially with only being young, going and watching dad play, I was always in an environment with adults. And then when I got into the senior stuff at Durham City, like the first couple of times Callum played second team, I wouldn't have been playing. So I'd have been watching him, but I'd have already been like in and around it because he was there. So I'd be there. And then when I got into second team, then he went into the first team. So we didn't really play as much together, but I was, I settled in well because I already knew a lot of the environment from going to watch him before I was actually playing in it. Did you ever get to play as a th- Nah. Neither. Um knock around game the three of you together at any point no we haven't I've joked on about it a few times in the last couple of years about doing it but I don't think dad wants any of it but uh, I think Callum and dad both played together a few times but I was always too young so I never did and when he stopped he stopped to could come watch me and my brother because obviously on Saturdays when I started playing second team and so did my brother my dad just stopped because he'd rather come watch us than he didn't play so unfortunately we never got to play as a three but I might do it, hopefully. I don't know. Tennis, did you get to play your dad a few times? Uh, at the Lions, I played, um, oh, I probably played a handful, half a season or so, um, when I was young and just basically playing to fill the numbers about eight and nine and, and not bowl. But um, I batted with them once, which was a pretty pretty special thing, to be fair. Um, I think we put about 65 on. I think I got the five and, and he got the 60 <laughs> light and, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm the one that got out and ruined it all. But no, it was it was good. Um, it, it was something that I'll I, I'll remember. There's a couple of photos we've got as well, which is which are pretty cool as well. Nice. Uh, just as part of that development, you mentioned you're involved in Durham Academy age groups. That then led you to play in the NEPL, a lot of second eleven cricket. Who are the players there in that setup? Once you're involved in being with the senior players at Durham, that you really looked up to and that you could call upon for advice as a youngster. Bryden, because I knew Bryden because he was at Burnmore when I was at Durham City, so I knew him before he was in Durham. Obviously, Burnham, I grew up with Burnham pretty much like close mates with him, so he'd obviously been in the first team probably two. He was in the academy when I first joined, and then he went the first team, so I could always go and sit with him or go chat with him if I didn't really know anyone else. Um, but I got on with everyone, really. Like, you're seeing different people and you played with them in the academy or played with them in the second team. 
You, uh, you've also done a couple of trips away with various groups. You went out to uh, South Africa on one of the pre-seasons when you were at Durham. You also, uh, I think, went out to India at one point um, with the academy and the, the senior spinners. How are those experiences when you get to go away in the, the winter? Yeah, no, they're good. Um, I remember I always wanted to go on like a pre-season with Durham because that's like the pro staff that go on them. And then... I think there was only going to be, uh, I think maybe 16 went out of the maybe 20 that was uh, staff players. And I didn't think I'd go because obviously I hadn't made debut or anything. Like, I think it was the first time I was on a full-time contract. Um, and I just trained in the winter and then I just managed to get picked to go away. But it's it's good to be away as well because the winters can be long. And if you go away in like March time, it's kind of like a month early, isn't it? So you do your work in the winter and then you know that you've only got until March and then you can go to, like, it's obviously hotter and you're outside. Um, we spoke to Keaton Jennings on the podcast last week uh, and he spoke about that successful Durham Academy. You've obviously been a part of it. You've come through. You're another product of that that they can add to their collection of names that have gone on to have first-class careers and highly successful ones. Um he talks of the work that Johnny Windows has done and the work dedication he shows developing his players. He said that there were times where he would work players so hard that the players almost didn't like him and hated him because of what he was having them doing, hitting hundreds of balls, a million miles an hour at them, ramping up the bowling machine, taking the screw out so it was moving around. Was that the same experience that you had through the academy or was he a bit nicer to you? No, yeah, it's the same. I think John... John's just John and he has some mad theories and he'd he'd want you to stand there and he'd put the ball machine on maybe 90 and if it hits you then he's showing you that you're not in the right position and <laughs> you're just standing there thinking why am I doing this and then you go a couple of weeks and you think actually he he actually had some sense in that and it wasn't just stupid and him having a bit of fun trying to hit me as hard as he can but no he's good John he obviously his amount of people that have come through the academy and I think he got uh, some recognition for it, or we were Academy of Best Academy in England, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So he does do a lot of work, and everyone loves him. Like, he, he, if you rang him now, he'd probably come sling at you if you wanted him to, or like even even when I was out of the academy and in the second team and first team, if I was struggling, I'd probably ring him first and meet up with him and have a net with him, or even just a chat with him, because he has some like such simple theories instead of overcomplicating things and then you just sit and think actually that has worked even daft little stuff but no I think he's a really good coach and I think any lad that you ask probably through Durham will will say the same I'd imagine yeah he's a good guy and those awards and the recognition that he has got is absolutely well deserved and players like yourself coming through that pathway um, obviously gain him that recognition but a lot of it comes down to him all of their guidance ultimately down the line and everyone who you've worked with up to that period have contributed in some way to you breaking into that Durham side when you made the debut in all three formats in 2019 you started off with a half century on debut in that Royal London Cup game against Northant what do you remember from that occasion was it something you knew was coming to give yourself a chance to prepare or was it sprung upon you and then almost playing on adrenaline to to be successful on your debut no, it came quite a bit of a surprise. Um, that was the season after the pre-season trip to South Africa, so I thought I might get an odd game if if we've already qualified or we've already knock, been knocked out of the group stages in the one days or the T20s. Um, and I think there was three or four Champo games beforehand, and 
I was in the second team and we played a one day friendly. Um and I managed to get a few runs, did all right in that game. And then obviously I think I was playing for Burnerfield on Saturday and Frankie the coach rang me and saying, Look, you're gonna be in the team to play on Saturday or Friday or whatever it was and then it just so happened that I'd made my debut that game. But I didn't expect it. I thought I might play maybe two or three games maximum that season. Was there a point during that knock, and I'm sure you'll have faced a number of the bowlers and been involved in the game playing second team where you probably recognise one or two of the guys, but was there a point in that that innings where you thought, wow, this is this is me or this is really hard or actually I'm, I am very, very capable at this level and that is what I want to continue to be, as successful and scoring half centuries and, and more? I remember, um, so there overseas was Jason Holder. Um and he's already a pretty scary bloke because he's seven foot three. <laughs> and he's at the bottom of his mark. And I think Clarky faced the first couple of balls. I think he must have got a one first ball. And I was just thinking the whole time I was running down the tr- crease, I got in and I was like, oh, it's actually it now. Like, it's my goal. And I remember standing there. I'd never ever faced him before in my life. I thought this guy must bowl rockets. And I was just standing back and I thought, whatever you do, don't get a first baller. I don't care how many runs you get, but don't get a first baller. So I think I played my forward defence before it even came out his hand. And I was standing there, he was running at the ball, and I was like, this is actually it. Like, I can't I can't do anything now. Like, I'm going to have to face this ball. And I just played a forward defence. And I didn't get a first baller, and I was like, get in. Like, a few people clapped. I thought, right, I haven't got a first baller on debut, so that's one ticked off. Now I just need to not get a duck. I think next ball, I played the same shot and I nicked it. And it went for a one, so I just sprinted as fast as I could to get down the other end. And then, like, the whole crowd clapped because obviously it was at home. So I was like, right, I haven't got none. So I was happy with my one run. Um, and then I, I managed to do all right, got a few boundaries away, and then I was settled, really. Once I got the first couple of boundaries away, I felt I felt that, um, that I was pretty comfortable. And it was just part just of regular. that summer, you had a highly successful T20 Blast campaign as well. You were batting at the top of the order alongside Darcy Short. You scored 369 runs yourself. How good was he to watch at the other end and how much did you learn from him when he was the overseas, obviously, for the competition? Watching, you seemed to have a very good relationship and dovetailed really well together at that top of the order, which led to success for Durham within fixtures in the competition. Yeah, I remember I remember when I was in Australia, I think it was the first year or the second year he played for Hobart. And he, I think he got quite a few, uh, maybe 200s or a few 90s in that season. And I was thinking, like, this bloke's like a great player and kept on watching him. And then it came out that we were going to be signing him. And then turned out that I was opening with Darcy. And he played and to watch him managed to be at the other end to them. So I felt quite lucky to, one, like, play in the T20s and then two, to be at the other end that's such a such a like destructive batter. Were there any points in any of the innings where you're stood there and you're thinking, I can try and hit one that far, or he's just gonna watch me and then he's gonna hit one as far as me? Because there's a few there's a few clips going around where you'd play some of your slap sixes and they'd go quite far and then he'd be at the other end and he'd almost try and outdo you. Was it intentional or was it just the two of you batting well together? No, it was actually good. Yeah. Um, obviously he was different class and he could just like hit it so with ease and it would go like into the stand on the big boundary and there's me trying to like literally put my back into it, swing as hard as I could and it would just go over the line and I'd just be standing there. But 
I remember my debut in the T20s. I'd never really played much T20s. And I thought if you opened, it meant you had to like smack it, like Gale, like as far as you could every ball. And I didn't watch the highlights because I think I missed more balls than I hit. And I remember just coming down the wicket and saying, look, you don't have to hit every ball out the ground. Um, and then the way he played it, which I learned quite a bit of, in the power play, he was normally on less runs than me, but he'd catch up at the end. Didn't matter on the grounds, even at Riverside, if it was a big ground or at away games where the grounds are all small in Riverside, he might not be might not get off to a race and start with only two men out, but he just backs himself to be in. And then if a spinner's on and deep cow's out, he'll back himself just to slog creep it over his head. Um, so he caught up. He didn't need to go hell for leather as soon as he as soon as he bat, like started. He backed himself as long as he was in and seeing it well. He he could get as many runs as he wanted. I remember reading something or hearing something, and it might even have been when Durham were playing Warwickshire on TV at the time. And it was Ed Pollock who opens the batting for Warwickshire yeah. uh, in the 2020s, and pretty much his brief was almost the opposite of what Darcy said yeah. there of just stay in. He, his job is almost be on, get 30 and out inside the first three overs, and you've done your job. And obviously, if you're still in, then kick on. But if you're not, not far off, kick him over. But get on with it type thing and obviously this it's just different theories isn't it and one's a, a young lad finding his way in the game at Warwickshire who's done well to be fair yeah, to him yeah. but one's a internationally recognised T20 player and maybe there is a little bit more sense of, of being there and backing your abilities later on in the innings as well I think that's why we we did as well as we did together because we were never both kind of outdo each other so like see if I got off to a good start and I got 30 and out then he'd be on maybe 20 and he'd get through and then he'd kick on at the end. And then if he got, like, say, a quick 20 and out, then I'd get through and I'd be in. So I think that's why we got on so well together and we just worked well together. We didn't both, like, I didn't tee off and him tee off and then we both end up out and we would not, like, 10 for two. We kind of played off each other. No, it was certainly good to watch and it was very successful for Durham. Without asking a really obvious question, considering how successful your 2019 was, how frustrating then was 2020, the hampering of the season with COVID and how disruptive it was, the delay to the season, the changing of competition formats and schedules? Was that frustrating for you? Not, well, I imagine for everyone, but almost because of what you potentially were on a trajectory towards. Yeah, I think um, I think it was frustrating because I didn't, obviously, you even from being a kid, your whole winter, you finish the season, you have maybe a week off and then you want it to be the season again. Like, you can't wait for it to be the season again. Um, and then you go from, like, the winter, you have, you do all your pre-season in the winter and you're getting closer. It's getting to, like, February, March time and you think season's only, like, a month away. Get a bit excited, get outside and then all of a sudden, as soon as the season was meant to start, it was, it was postponed for, like, three months and it was, it was just like you were hanging around and like we didn't even know if we were going to play any cricket, which was the most frustrating thing. You didn't know when you were going to play. You didn't know if you were going to play. And then the season came around and it was juggled differently, wasn't it? But it was still, it was, wasn't the best season for myself personally, but it was good to get some cricket rather than none at all. Prior to the season starting and that disruption that, that was frustrating even as a, a very recreational cricketer myself or as a fan to watch, and I'm assuming uh, for yourself as a player, you went on a pre-season trip across to La Manga with Scotland. Uh, how was that to be involved with? How did that come about? And moving forward, is that something that you'll continue to be involved in? And then is that your international avenue, do you think? Yeah, hopefully. Um, 
basically just came about um, my dad's. My dad was born in Scotland, so I've always been eligible to play for Scotland. But I never thought. A few people have said to me in the past, like, "Look, try play for Scotland." Like, I'm, I'm pretty good mates with Kyle. I just texted Kyle, and I had nothing to lose. Really, the lad said, "Look, if if they pick you, they pick you. If they don't, they don't." Um, and I did all right that season with Durham, so I thought well, I may as well just give them a message. And they found out that I was um, basically just said, "Look, Scott's eligible to play." Um, he wants to try qualify for Scotland and become a Scotland player. Um, and then the, I didn't think anything of it. And I think it was probably uh, February time. I got a phone call off the head coach, Shane, and he just said, look, we're planning on going going away for pre-season. What's your plans with Durham? And I said, oh, like they had a trip, but I won't. Um, and he wanted me to go with them. So I got, I think we were there a week, week and a half in Lamanga, just purely a training camp. Um, which was a good experience. I knew a couple of the lads, but didn't know all of them and got to train with like an international team. And I was hoping for last season to get to qualify for Scotland by playing so many Scotland A games and through the ICC, I think, have to qualify you. So I was hoping to be qualified because they had some games against Australia and New Zealand coming up. And then obviously the World Cup was this winter it was meant to be. So I was hoping to try to get qualified to try to get picked in that. Yeah, I'm sure once things allow, maybe with any luck, they'll have some reasoning behind it and accept that last year was a bit of a freak year and that they'll be able to put a uh, some dispensation in there. And hopefully if you could get to the World Cup, that would be, be great to see. But Scotland as a nation, they're obviously ambitious. The associates, they need as much support as they can in cricket. And from what you saw in that camp and from what you know about Scottish cricket, how competitive can they be on the international? Yeah, I think, I think it's the same as like Ireland now and Afghanistan. They, they get overlooked quite a bit because they're, they're not the big countries and they don't have the big players. Um, but they do well. They have some like unbelievable cricketers. Kyle just got a associate player of the decade or something last ten years. Um, they beat England last year or the year before. They beat England. So I think it just shows how competitive they are and how good they actually are. I think when when I've watched them as a again as a fan in those one off competitions or in those one off games, they're very competitive. It's just whether across a World Cup when they've got to play the team six, seven, eight times in these round-robin stage, whether they can keep that intensity high. But I think, as you say, certainly from what I've seen, and there's more and more names dripping into county cricket and holding their own. And I think provided England aren't stealing those players from Ireland or trying to encourage a few Scottish lads to use their English residency from counties, then if they can be supported in the right way, they will continue to be successful. So hopefully long may that continue. You, You signed this winter. Uh, as a fox for Leicestershire why was now the right time for a change in scenery and how did that move come about Um, it came about maybe just before the T20 blast started Um, Leicester knew I was out of contract um, at the end of last season with Durham and they just messaged to say look um, would you be keen and we're keen to sign you would you be keen and speaking to us or meeting us and, and seeing what we can negotiate. Um, and I didn't think anything of it for before T20s, played T20s and after the second or third game, obviously I got dropped down to batting eight. Um, and then I didn't do so well. I didn't really feel like I had a place on the side. I kind of, when it wasn't going well, they kind of just dropped me down to eight and it wasn't really 
didn't really get as much of a run as I thought I would. And then I just thought, well, I looked in the offer at Leicester. Um, and then it was back and forth with Durham, really. Durham didn't want to give me the longer contract that Leicester had offered. Um, and the way I'd met Nico and spoke to Nico and the group that he has and the way they wanted want to go moving forward, I just thought it was a good environment for me to be in and to take my cricket to the next level. You said at the start that you've started those nets under Paul Nixon and his staff. What is that club ambition and how are they looking in advance of the summer? I know you've only seen a couple of them in your little bubble, but will they be contenders? Will they be looking to push on and improve yeah, as I think always? Yeah, we've got a great chance this season. Last season, I think they got to, got to qualify as quarter-final, I think it was, and then only just lost. So I think it shows how competitive the lads are and they're a great bunch of lads and I think there's well, I think they made three signings this winter and then there's been six or seven re signed longer contracts already. And that already shows that the lads wanna the lads wanna be at the club and Nico and everyone all the coaching staff just want us to win and they're a good group of people. They're always wanting to win and wanting to improve each other's games and they just I think they they'll be really competitive next season and I think they've got a good chance a good chance with all competitions. Awesome. Tinners, you've played at Grace Road a couple of times. What advice have you got for uh, for Scott? <laughs> I didn't score many runs. I don't think I took a wicket, so uh, don't play like I did. I think I got stumped, I got stumped without moving my foot and I got belted by some bang average cricketers, so by all means, I have no advice for you whatsoever. Scott, what's the, uh, what's the ambition long-term for yourself? I know you've mentioned hopefully being involved in a Scottish setup. Uh, you see players taking the franchise route and being picked up in drafts all over the world. The hundreds obviously coming up and be a flagship event here in England. Where do you want to be? Is it a three format ambition still at the moment, or is there a decision to be made at some point? Yeah, no, I, I want to play obviously all three formats for Leicester. Um, I still want to play red ball stuff. I haven't really had that much of a chance doing it, and just happened to do all right in white ball. So I think a lot of people think that I. I don't really want to play red ball and I only want to play white ball, but I want to play every game possible and all three formats and win games for Leicester. Um, and then hopefully I'd like to probably cement myself in the Scotland side or play a few games for Scotland um, and then try getting some franchise competitions around the world, try maybe T10 or a few T20 gigs. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be a nice way to see the world as well. And hopefully by that point, you're not being stuck in a bubble and bits and pieces like that uh lastly scott before we let you go we're very appreciative of your time um you've recently launched a bit of a new venture yourself tell us about that what stage are we up to uh and what can we yeah expect me and that? me and one of my mates have just um just released a clothing brand called 55 um we are we've got a few designs and we're just basically waiting to get some samples and then get on to the actual products and they should hopefully be out in maybe four to six weeks by the time everything's done. Um, it's going to be hoodies and joggers, like a tracksuit set, or you can get them individually. And then a couple of T-shirts just for the first drop, see how they go, and then progress into different hoodies and maybe beanies or caps at some point, maybe. Nice, a little uh, project to keep you busy and something that we'll, uh, we'll certainly be looking forward to, to seeing and getting our own hands on. Uh, to some extent but uh, Scott 
Legend, as always, thanks very much for your time. Uh, it's always great to see a local lad do so well, especially having come through pathways and justifying their worth. So all the best for the summer with Leicestershire. Uh, hopefully things ease off and you can find ways of entertaining yourself down there. Um, I know the shopping centre isn't as exciting as maybe back home, but hopefully crowds will be allowed back in soon as well and we can make a trip to see you in action and try and catch a bomb <laughs> or two in the crowd. No worries, thank you for having me. Again, great to hear from Scott, a great young cricketer who's moved away from the North East, but looking at, looking to get into big things down there at Leicester. Jimmy, what's next? Uh, unfortunately, no guest appearance from myself this week. Um, and off the back of another disappointing week of results for Newcastle, I've been avoiding all sorts of sporting headlines, as you may guess. So I thought we'd just end this week with a little bit of the roundup of the weekend, a few of the headlines that Andy kindly mentioned earlier in the in the opening about what had gone on in the week. Um, well, Jimmy, let me tell you one thing that we could do to finish off, and then you can pass this off as if it's your own idea. Why don't we say the week in sport, you've got 60 seconds to either review, offer an opinion on, talk about whatever you like, and then you're done. No longer, no shorter, and then we'll move it round the table, and uh, then we can finish for the week. Sounds good to me. Right, Jimmy. Your section, you can go first. Are you ready? Tell you what, it feels like mastermind. <laughs> Specialist subject. <laughs> Apart from you'll probably score more points than this. <laughs> right, 60 seconds, Jimmy. On the clock, ready? Right, go. Go. What are we talking about? What's the headline? <laughs> you need to give us a headline, you pick. No, you're talking on the week, Jimmy. You're 55 I seconds. I thought you were going to give me a sporting headline to dive into. Oh, Unwrapped well, this is all in your time, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, you can talk to me about talk to me about England and Sri Lanka and Joe Root. Go. Uh, 40 seconds. Joe Root, once again, great with the back, got past 50, couldn't see him kicking on to 100, thought he would bottle that. Maybe there's a, a new Joe Root in the batting lineup. Um, didn't watch any of this series to be this, well, none of this series to be perfectly honest, certainly none of this test. Um, don't know how the short leg got peppered this time. Um, Some videos of Dick Weller behind the stumps with some decent crack. Seems like Dan Lawrence is willing to take it on board, unlike Johnny Bairstow, who did not take being reminded that he's not going to India very well. Um, Joe Root's attempt to then outdo someone else was picked up on the stunt mic. He's pretty mundane. That's all I've really got to offer on the uh, test. Time's up, Jimmy. Just in time. Perfect. It's a good job you wasted 20 seconds there. Um, No, nice little roundup. Lovely little review of the cricket. Uh, Tinners, do you want to have a go? Uh, can I have cricket as well, please? Cricket as well. Okay, 60 seconds on the clock, starting now. Yeah, another great test, wasn't it? I mean, I think what I took from it was uh, the same as, same as Jimmy, really. Dick Weller, great crack. Root's not the best. Not it's Trying to be a little bit too much like Flintoff and, and, and Tino best, I think. Um, I'm going to say, the the fan out, out there, what a time of life he's having, by the way. Surely he's getting straight tested in the bubble with the lads for a few beers. Won't come on the podcast. You, you, d- disappointingly. Um, and, yeah, good to see the spinners actually turn up on the second day when it was turning square after Jimmy Anderson reminded us how good he really is um, only at home, apparently. So I think I've got a little bit of time left, so I'll move on to Livingston. And that is probably the best meme I've seen in a while, him getting hit three times. Um, in the box and like we all do always laugh at it but never quite it's never quite the same when you get hit 10 seconds um, to us. and your favourite Alex Hill getting 100 it must be in your 2020 team now is he dog? must be 
Yeah, well, that's your time up. That's your minute. Um, but 100%, forgive and forget. It's always been my rules. Me and Ben Stokes managed to forgive each other and forget. We're good pals now. Um, so, yeah, forgive Alex Hales. Get him in. You're picking your, your favourites, dropping a few names in the hat there, Doug. Which one are you going for? Uh, I think I might try and talk quite generally um, as an enthusiast rather than anything else about the Super Bowl and then see where we can get to from there. So I will start my minute now. So Tom Brady, uh, the GOAT, supposedly he's got there. He's made one more Super Bowl. But I think the interesting matchup is that it's going to be himself against uh, Patrick Mahomes, who obviously won the MVP last year. Uh, sorry, won it the year before, won the Super Bowl last year, is back in another Super Bowl this year. So he's going for two and four years in the big leagues. And many people say this is going to be the handing of the baton. Brady jumped ships from the Patriots. He went to the Buccaneers. He said the Patriots didn't have a chance. He was absolutely spot on. The Bucs have won. They've got there. They're in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs as good as ever. Uh, both of them beating uh, the Bills and the Green Bay Packers, respectively. Uh, the Packers, I was watching there on Saturday nights just before I watched the McGregor fight. I was hoping for snow all over the place uh, and there wasn't any. So it is just in the Midlands, it seems. But I'm looking forward to that. A couple of weeks' time. Uh, I think they're going for a home Super Bowl final at Tom Brady's new ground. And that is how you waffle for a minute in something that you don't really know a huge deal about. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I think that'll be good fun on the Super Tom Bowl. Tom Brady retiring on a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, I think he could be. Um, I th- well, I think Mahomes will win, but I think he, he's obviously at the. Uh, I think he's at the Super Bowl, and I think that may well be him bowing out. But like I say, um, I have no idea. I just follow the headlines. Why don't we finish, gentlemen? Following Lampard's dismissal, we've got to make a prediction. Um, we're not very good at them, but we will continue to try. Following Lampard's dismissal, who is going to be the next Premier League manager to get the sack? Tinners. Scotty Parker. Bastard. Justification or not? Uh, I just think at some point the Fulham kind of hierarchy will get a bit worried and think and do what they did the last time. Panic, sack the manager, when probably um, he's going to be the best man for the job, but I just think they'll do what every London-based club does and panic and, and sack them with half a season or just less than half a season ago. Jimmy? I was actually going to say Scott Parker, so I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Um... I'm probably going to say, maybe not be sacked, but I think he'll resign. Allardyce. I think Allardyce will probably resign when that West Brom sinking ship is no longer saveable. And unlike a true captain going down with his ship, I could see him being one of the first off, to be fair, so that he keeps his um, record as a manager to bring in to avoid a relegation pretty clean. Uh, I'm going to pick Nuno. I think Nuno is going to leave Wolves. I think he's going to be the next one to go. I don't see them being particularly active in the transfer window. They've obviously got a few days left. I think they're desperate to get a striker in to replace Jimenez and his goals. Obviously, Jota left in the summer as well. Um, And I think that they could really be a stone free-falling and they could find themselves in a little bit of trouble, which the owners uh, won't like there. So I think Nuno is going to get the kick first before Bruce and Wilder, because I think their owners will stick by them. Anything to add before we go, gentlemen? I forgot about Nuna. No, same as last week, I think. Just thanks to the two guests and, and thanks for the giveaway. Um, and like we've said, it'll, be, it'll already be out now, won't it? Everyone will have already, already kind of seen who's won, so it was great. Speak to you shortly, gentlemen. See you, fellas. See you later.
I'm the cat with the bass and drum, going around like bum bum bum. 